Welcome to This is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose, to create a better life for all residents of the St. Louis region. And today we will emphasize the region and not just the city of St. Louis. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression that work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, and expanding the public sphere and creating structural racial equity. Today, our guests are Sister Dolores Sanchez, environmental justice organizer for Metropolitan Congregations United, and Kentaro Kumanomi Do, digital and environmental justice community organizer of United Congregations of Metro East. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Good to be here. So today we're going to talk about an exciting event coming up on July 24th. So let's just start there. What's happening on July 24th? Where and what time? We're going to be having a fantastic um, a rally in March uh, on the McKinley River uh, Bridge, McKinley Bridge <laughs> over the river. And uh, um, we'll be starting in across the bridge in uh, Venice, Illinois, joining forces, uh, UCM and MCU for the first time to work on what's an, a regional issue, which is the, our air, air quality. That'll be in the morning. We'll start, we'll meet over in Venice about nine o'clock and uh, it'll last till about 11 or 11.30. So what, what are we looking for from this action? What demands are, are, are we uh, making uh, with this action? Um, well, first and foremost, uh, we're excited to bring together communities from both sides of the river. Um, part of this is, is strategizing with folks from either side as to what our what our policy changes need to be. Um, we feel that because, because we're uh, divided by a state border, um, it's actually, that becomes a roadblock for addressing a lot of the, the regional uh, environmental justice issues. So we'll be calling on uh, elected officials from both sides to come together and sit down with us to strategize together with the community to figure out those plans of actions. Our biggest and most straightforward demand is for elected officials to sit down with leaders from the community to write the plans that will solve the issues. There are several pieces of legislation, um, at least from the Illinois side, that have um, passed, but are, um, you know, have there's attempts to weaken them now in terms of um, air quality and air pollution. Um, so we'll definitely be lifting up and calling attention to some of those issues. Um, but in general, our overall ask is for elected officials to sit down at the, at the table with community members from both sides of the river and to collaborate on generating a plan that will, that will address air quality and that will address environmental justice in general. It sounds like that's that 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 first ask of cooperation is is a big one. Uh, the 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 politics in the two states are different, and we also live in a, a, a sociological environment where competition between states is so good, or so big. So one state feels like, well, if we do this, then the other state will take advantage of us. So that that sounds like a big hurdle to get over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and one of the big players um, in the region is Ameren. 
And because they operate on both sides of the river, we feel the need to coordinate um, coordinate a conversation between them, community members, and elected officials from both sides of the river to make uh, make policy changes that are driven from the community and um, that have some level of coordination between the two states and Ameren themselves. And ultimately, um, at least part of our ask is um, to have the EPA continue to working continue working hard to get the states to actually uh, live up to the regulations that are in the books. And we've had on the Missouri side, we've had a recent example of um, the Kinder Morgan uh, refinery on the river, uh, very close to where I was working in South City, St. Louis, where um, uh, the Missouri Department of Natural Resources was not enforcing uh, the regulations that Kinder Morgan should have followed as they were getting ready to uh, open that refinery uh, by consulting the community. And uh, so, you know, we're working locally, but it is a, um, it's a national issue or it it involves national entities. So, so what are some of the specific uh, sources of pollution that, that we want to call out on, on this day, on, on the 24th, how, how are they affecting communities in the metro area? We'll have some uh, impacted people giving uh, testimony uh, about that. Um, But just one example of that is uh, the high rates of asthma that were uh, pointed out in the WashU study called Environmental Racism in St. Louis. And uh, so the air quality definitely uh, impacts asthma, which then uh, impacts not only the health, but also the education as kids end up missing school and um, just overall uh, limits people's uh, vitality and uh, longevity of life even. And on the Illinois side, there's um, two big issues that will definitely be lifting up um, in terms of the specific sources of pollution. One is uh, a toxic waste incinerator that's located in Sage, Illinois which is just a little bit south of East St. Louis. And um, that incinerator is one of only 12 toxic waste incinerators in the whole country. So they're not burning just municipal waste, they're burning uh, chemicals that get sent to them by corporations um, throughout the country and even internationally. And one of the pieces of legislation that UCM has been working on is a statewide ban in Illinois on the incineration of a class of chemicals called PFOS which stands for per and polyfluoral alkyl substances. And this is a substance that was manufactured initially by DuPont, was part of their Teflon formula and was used in firefighting foam. Now they put it in firefighting foam because the chemical is designed to be heat resistant. And when uh, DuPont and the government found out that this was actually a highly toxic chemical, cancer causing class of chemicals, they needed to get rid of all their stockpiles um, because it had become a financial liability. And they began sending it under the Trump administration to the Trump administration's EPA to toxic waste incinerators, um, one of which is in um, Sage. And um, so we, we were able to get a statewide ban, but the trouble is that we have not yet gotten a signature from Governor Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, on it. So that's a, a, a very clear legislative ask that we'll be making. Um, in addition to the PFAS, uh, 
um, is uh, the issue around coal ash. So coal ash is the byproduct of coal incineration that is produced at any coal plant um, that we have lots of them in Southern Illinois. Um, the biggest coal plant in Missouri, I believe is in Labadee, Missouri. Um, and so these coal ash ponds, not only is coal ash produced and put into the air by the incineration, but then the coal ash gets stored in reservoirs, um, many of which are unlined or have inadequate lining. So then the toxic coal ash then leaches into the groundwater. Um, so that's another um, specific that we'll be lifting up. So, so the, the legislation on the restriction of, of burning uh, the PFOS, so that's something that's passed the Illinois legislature, but it has not been signed by the governor yet. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, exactly. And um, if it doesn't get signed into law, uh, or if it doesn't get signed by the governor in 60 days, it automatically passes into law. And we were hoping this would be an easy win for us, but um, we received notice that the governor is um, being lobbied by um, uh, a toxic waste incinerator in Northern Illinois um, to have a veto amendment that would allow for PFAS to be uh, disposed of by what they're calling thermal oxidation. But essentially this is the same thing as incineration. So they're trying to um, get, around, get around the language of incineration um, in order to let them keep burning this, um, this toxic chemical. Um, but we're trying to make sure that doesn't happen. Okay. So is that, is that company looking to just have that happen at their plant up in Northern Illinois, or would it cover any of the toxic, toxic waste plants in Illinois? Um, if, if they could get their, um, their amendment, uh, passed, it would likely, uh, it would easily allow for, um, the incinerator in Sauge to, to burn PFAS as well. So that's, that's our, our main concern for, for us in this region, but also statewide. And the thing is with, um, with this type of incineration and with this chemical is that it, it spreads wide, wide distances. Um, so we're all being affected, even if, you know, you've never heard of this incinerator and, and you don't think that you live close enough to be affected. Um, this stuff is getting everywhere and it won't necessarily have a smell to it, um, but there are long-term um, he negative health impacts. Um, it's a, it's a hormone disruptor. Um, so it, it has lots of, lots, lots of nasty impacts that we definitely don't want. Give us some examples of how this is affecting real people. Uh, a couple of months or a month or so ago, we had a, uh, an on, online, uh, I guess, rally, um, and we had some testimony from someone in, in, in Solje. How, how is this affecting people around this plant? Yeah, well, for the folks, um, the folks that live closest, um, the th I think the most immediate health impact is, um, well, on top of everything else, on, honestly, is the anxiety of not knowing what they're breathing, knowing that they're living extremely close to this toxic waste incinerator, but there being no mechanism of accountability to actually have what's in the air measured and monitored. So under the current um, uh, pollution permitting bill that this incinerator has been given by the EPA, the, the Illinois EPA, they only have to measure what they're putting out into the air once every five years. So this is something that UCM fought a couple years back, um, but was able to not gain a lot of ground on. Um, so 
something we're working on is to get a more stringent um, permitting bill put in place by the Illinois EPA so that we know what, what, what we're breathing um, in this area. And I know on the MCU side, the air monitoring project is a huge part of what we're trying to get see as an outcome of this action is that first and foremost, in order to hold these polluters accountable, we have to know what's in the air. And there's just nothing in place right now that is creating a record of what's actually in the air and what we're actually breathing. So that for us is, is step number one, is we need monitoring put in place so that there's um, a mechanism for accountability and there's a record of what is actually in the air. Sister it's Dolores, what, what type of monitoring do we need on the Missouri side? What are we looking for from MCU? We know that there's only three functioning air monitors in St. Louis, the, the whole area of St. Louis, not just the city. Um, and so uh, we're working with WashU to get air quality monitors placed in different parts of uh, the city, um, beginning in the city mostly, to see exactly what the, uh, you know, the very sensitive monitors, so that they'll be able to help us identify what the particulates are that are in the air and then uh, even to get a, uh, a sense of, you know, where that uh, those toxins or those particulates might be coming from. And so that will, I mean, Sage is, is clearly uh, an, uh, a needed target in terms of uh, change and action. Uh, our, uh, we need the information and the research that uh, WashU is working in this, uh, in this project, um, we're working together uh, so we need that information in order to be able to ask for change and to see uh, where we're going to be asking for accountability about it. We talk about this being a matter of uh, uh, environmental racism also. So so what what are the, what's the evidence that uh, the polluted areas are affecting black and brown communities and poor communities the most? Well, in, in the WashU environmental racism study, uh, it pointed out that uh, kids in the city are 10 times more likely to have to be hospitalized uh, for uh, problems with asthma as they are out in, in, the, uh, in the county or suburbs. Um, and it also includes the number of, uh, you know, ER visits are, are much higher as well. And these are the zip codes that are uh, closest to the river and so they're also impacted by uh, highways that are close by, um, the refineries uh, that are on the river, um, older buildings that sometimes are knocked down, which puts more toxins in the air. So, uh, you know, all those factors work against the air quality in, in the city. And again, particularly uh, close to the river. And in terms of the, the coal ash pollution, um, the, the populations uh, in Illinois at near these coal plants um, are majority uh, people of color at about a quarter of the sites and um, low income at 80% of the sites. So um, folks that are familiar with environmental racism might've heard of this uh, phrase, not in my backyard or NIMBY uh, for short. And so that's definitely at play throughout the region where um, you know, pretty much wherever you look, um, these these toxic sites are within low income and uh, communities of color, 
um, because they don't necessarily have the resources to fight against um, these larger corporations that are looking to site and situate their, um, their facilities. So um, there's, there's many resources that we have um, linked to on our registration page um, with, with specific um, documents that go into detail. And I know asthma rates, um, especially in St. Louis, um, are our highest in North City. Um, there's a really good visual um, that is connected to via our registration page that shows very starkly how North City is um, has much higher asthma rates than the rest of St. Louis. We talked a little bit about actions that we would like to see the the monitoring, some legislation passed. Are there what other actions sort of need to be taken to uh, address the problems, maybe at a a larger level, and you know, are there other steps that that we need to be looking at as a society to to address these these problems? Well, certainly, looking at um, the EPA and the regulations that are out there um, during the last presidency, many of those regulations were rolled back, and uh, in favor of you know large companies, uh, multinational corporations, uh, the, the rules and regulations that would. Um, limit them in terms of you know what they can put out into the air, um, and so which then of course ends up in the in the uh, soil and eventually into the groundwater. So it's not just the air quality that that the air quality also impacts the the rest of our environment. And um, one one of the other pieces that we'll be lifting up, and so we actually have an acronym of AIR that uh, we'll be using to help. Uh, folks understand what we're asking for. So the the A has to do with accountability as to what's in the air and uh, addressing the air pollution. Um, I, we're asking for investment in the air monitoring, in clean energy, investment in the things that will help shift shift the situation. And then R is uh, restore the river and restoration of their riverside communities. So we're excited to partner with Mississippi Rivers Network, um, which is a national-wide organization who are part of um, promoting a recent piece of legislation um, that was initially written by Senator um, McCollum out of Minnesota, but has been co-sponsored by Cori Bush here in Missouri uh, called the Mississippi Resilience and Restoration Initiative. or MIRI for short. And what this would do is essentially um, reframe the Mississippi River as a a body of ecological significance and hand over some of the management of the Mississippi River to the national EPA. Whereas right now, the Mississippi River is seen from a very from strictly an engineering standpoint where it's overseen by the Army Corps of Engineers, where they're not, they're not looking at the Mississippi River as an ecosystem. They're looking at it as a drainage system and as a transportation system. Um, but this uh, federal initiative would create a new source of funding to restore the Mississippi River from an ecological perspective, much like initiatives that have taken place in other parts of the country, like the Chesapeake Bay, which were highly polluted ecosystems, but that through major pieces of legislation um, were able to 
really transform into much healthier environments. So that's a piece that we'll be looking to lift up and um, ask folks to take action on in terms of signing a petition that will call attention. We'll, we'll be stating their support for this new federal initiative for the Mississippi River. So you mentioned a little uh, a partnership, uh, another organization. Um, what are the other organizations that we're partnering with either for this event or just in a broader scope to, to try to advance the, this agenda? The uh, Sierra Club, certainly on both sides of the river, <clears throat> is working very hard in this area. Um, at least I know, I know the uh, Sierra Club on this side, uh, with Leah uh, Clyburn, has been working with us. And, um, you know, one of the goals that, of the Sierra Club is to, um, to stop having coal-fired plants because of all the pollution that that puts into the air. And so uh, an ask probably for the future for us would be um, to uh, really push Amarin on our side to uh, have a clear you know, timeline for clean energy, that, you know, for a movement from the coal to clean energy. Um, I, you know, I understand from the work that Gantara has done with UCM that that really is not there. Um, Sister Dolores mentioned the Sierra Club. Um, we've, I've been working uh, as part of this statewide coalition with um, leaders from the Sierra Club. And for really, for us, really, the, the coal is the biggest issue, especially in downstate Illinois, um, where there historically has been so much coal mining. Um, so the coal ash, you know, is really the, the main source of immediate toxicity and pollution. Um, but other things I'm learning about through the Illinois Sierra Club uh, include something called long wall coal mining, where farmers are in Southern Illinois are actually losing their land that they farm because um, underneath, deep underground, there's being, coal is still being mined. And as that coal is taken out, um, part of, parts of their, their agricultural land are literally collapsing. Um, and so it's an incredibly destructive form of coal mining that's taking place. Um, so the Sierra Club, um, as well as a um, coalition called the Metro East Green Alliance or MEGA that works throughout the Metro East region is something we've been, is a group we've been collaborating with, um, as well as Community First Plus, um, which is a partner with MCU, and then Mississippi Rivers Network. So, so those groups, in addition to the primary collaboration between MCU and UCM. In that your story about the the different coal mining procedure that's causing farmland to collapse is another reminder of of how of our our interests are tied together between the urban area and the rural area and and building those bridges between those areas is so vitally important. Another place where where sort of our our problems intersect is when it comes to jobs. So one of the major sources of pollution is is from coal plants. There's been a lot of talk, and you've mentioned it, Kentaro, uh, about uh, closing uh, coal plants in Illinois. Uh, with plant closing, always comes the worry about job loss. So how do we find the balance between moving to cleaner energy and taking care of people who have depended on those jobs for you know 150 years now? Yeah, this is a great question and a definitely a relevant topic. Um, the, the main framework that I've heard that has been really clear to me is something called the just transition. Um, so this is actually a framework that's been applied throughout the United States, not just in Illinois. Um, 
because people in the industry recognize that regardless of, of any legislation coming through at the state level, um, that coal is being phased out um, at a federal level um, and clean energy is where we're headed as, as, a, as a nation and as a, as a planet um, in terms of how, where the economy is moving. Um, but what just transition uh, implies is that there are mechanisms that are, are trying to be put into place that would provide for job training and uh, free education for folks in the coal industry that would give them time and resources to enter other industries, whether that's the clean energy industry or others. Um, and so this is, this is built into the legislation that UCM has been uh, trying to pass as part of the statewide coalition that would provide job training and financial resources allocated specifically to folks in the coal industry to allow them to have a seamless transition into another field of work um, outside of coal. Folks might've been uh, hearing it called the Clean Energy Jobs Act. That's what um, my coalition has had been working under um, as part of this Illinois Clean Jobs Coalition. Um, at the moment, you know, we were working closely with the governor and with labor to work on um, Governor Pritzker's own proposal, which would not have come out under that name, the Clean Energy Jobs Act. So essentially, um, uh, historically in Illinois, um, energy bills have, have been written primarily by the utility companies um, because they're the experts in, in this realm. Um, but given, given the state of things with uh, the effects of coal in terms of pollution and climate change. Uh, over this last couple of years, there's been a strong development of a grassroots network throughout the state of Illinois, where we've built enough, we've built enough power and uh, to come to the table and have our voices heard where it's not just the utility companies that are drafting this legislation, but that there are pieces for a comprehensive energy and climate bill um, that would address issues related to pollution um, and equity, making sure that these new jobs are given to low-income communities and to communities of color, um, because historically it's been hard to break into the, the clean energy economy. So we wanted to make sure that there were pathways for communities like East St. Louis to have um, opportunities in this clean energy economy. Um, and so that's, that's what we've been working on. And we're, we're still looking to pass a comprehensive climate and energy bill. Um, we weren't able to pass one during the last legislative session, but so this is still in the works. Sister Dolores, is there anything similar in Missouri? Or are we dealing with, are we still dealing with uh, basic issues like getting healthcare on the side of the river? <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's the case. Um, yeah, we're, we're working, uh, in terms of integrated voter um, engagement to uh, make sure that people in the state are uh, aware of, you know, what the issues are and uh, concerned enough to, and uh, confident enough to, to vote on them so that, you know, we're hoping that in 2022 and 2024 uh, that we can bring legislators to the fore who are, willing to stand up for the, the um, 
the lower income brackets and and uh, and help raise our economy in a way that uh, trickle down has has just has never happened. Um, so we, we were working on various aspects of um, creating a uh, more of a an open environment, let's say, <laughs> to to work towards some of the things that are for the common good. And that, I guess that's a good example of how the politics on either side of the river, you know, play differently. And, and so we're, we're almost at different levels when, when trying to address these, these questions. Um, so all of these problems do seem very large and they fall in the realm of, of policy change. So for folks that are listening, um, how can they participate in, in making some of these things happen? What, what, what's a good place to get started? If, if they could come to our um, rally on July 24th, then uh, that's one way to begin to put your toe in the water to see, you know, what's going on, who's working, uh, how can I maybe be part of it? Um, is it something I want to be part of? Um, also, if people want to go to the, uh, the website, it's uh, mcustlewis.org. Uh, um, there's a lot of information there, um, and I think the link to the uh, Facebook page also will will give more information both about the event but also about ongoing activities. Um, we're also having a um, an event on July the 16th, which they'll find if they go to the Facebook page, and and that is uh, it's a fundraising event but it will also be uh, informing about, particularly about uh, integrated voter engagement. So that would be an excellent um, activity for them to participate in. Uh, It's the open concepts bar, which I don't remember the location, but uh, it'll be the evening of of July the 16th, which I believe is a, a Thursday. Yeah. I think it's it's a I think it's a Friday. Yeah, yeah, and that that's in the in the Grove um, area of of St. Louis. So yeah, that that should be a fun evening that allows to to actually see each other for the first time in a long time and socialize. So that that should yeah. be a fun evening. Um, so that's a good point. Let's go ahead and give the details of the event on July twenty fourth one more time. Just tell us again where it's going to happen and when. And we'll gather in uh, Venice, Illinois, the other the other side of the McKinley Bridge. You, you know, if you're crossing from Missouri, you'll see it as soon as you uh, get off the bridge. And uh, we'll gather there at nine. We'll uh, head across the river um, as after uh, people more or less gather, uh, have a press conference uh, more on the Missouri side, and then come back to the uh, Illinois Park for a, a bit of a celebration with food and some music. So it's going to be a fun event. Hope everybody comes out. Good, good. And like you said, the information for that is on our Facebook page. There's a link there for registration. Um, so you can make sure to get your name in and, and we know to, uh, the numbers to expect. Uh, Kintaro, uh, as we wrap things up, uh, for our listeners, tell us more about United Congregations of Metro East and, and how to find out, find out more information about your, your organization. Sure. Yeah. So uh, United Congregations of Metro East, or UCM, um, we're really excited to be partnering with MCU on this project. We're part of the same national network, uh, which is Gamaliel. And um, we, we are definitely smaller than MCU, um, but working on some really, really important issues. So the environmental justice issues is a big part of the work that we do. 
Also criminal justice reform has been a big, a major piece of what we're working on as well as civil rights for immigrants and comprehensive immigration reform. So those are some of the long-term um, projects that we've been working on. Um, additionally, we're working on uh, housing equality, um, making sure that there are adequate living conditions for folks in East St. Louis. That's something newer that uh, a specific housing project and getting folks um, adequate housing is, is a new project that's come online for us this summer. Um, but uh, yeah, all these issues are also interconnected and really uh, in order to move things, we need to build power by building relationships. So we're really excited about bridging this divide um, on uh, both sides of the river and coming together as a region to show how powerful we are and that we do have the ability to really change things um, for this region. Okay, that should do it. just about wrap us up for today. I want to thank our guest, Sister Dolores Sanchez, Environmental Justice Organizer for Metropolitan Congregations United, and Kentaro Kumanomido, uh, Digital and Environmental Justice Community Organizer for United Congregations of Metro East. To learn more about MCU, as Sister Dolores had pointed out, go to our website at mcustlewis.org. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. I'm Kevin Prang, and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time, and thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.